The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'm making food come alive in multiple ways every Sunday, from dinner brainstorms to the current climate and scope of the wide world of food. We're celebrating delicious dishes, savvy travel, wine knowledge, and an overall grand lifestyle. And of course, food's ability to feed the soul on this show every week. I hope you'll get comfortable and listen in because we're dishing on everything from hatch chilies to sustainable seafood and food TV this hour. You can always find me serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. So summer is in full swing and there are so many fabulous foods to savor this season. Fresh sweet berries from the farmer's market, picnics by the beach, ice cream desserts, of course and the beauty of a lobster bake, or any meal that involves lobster, for that matter, in my opinion. So you ask, how do I get the most out of lobster season? Well, here it is, what I love most about summer, those beautiful crustaceans grilled and served family style at an outdoor picnic table. Lobsters were once considered poor man's food. Hard to believe, isn't it? The European settlers of northeastern America were able to harvest an abundance of lobsters by simply strolling along the beach. The poorer families near the coast dined on lobster regularly, but the more affluent considered lobster as fish bait. Now, fast forward a couple hundred years to the early 1900s, and the main lobster industry couldn't work fast enough to satisfy the lobster-loving American public. To get our lobster fix today, although Maine lobsters are certainly bountiful during the summer months, Americans import lobster from Canada, Australia, South Africa, even South America. And where I live in Southern California, we buy some very fresh sweet lobster from the coast of Mexico. But right around this time, at the truly sweet spot of summer, the main lobsters are the way that fishmongers and grocery stores near you can share the joy of feasting. Now, I love a family lobster feast, and it should be fun, of course, with the lobster-themed tablecloths and the oversized bibs and seashell centerpieces. I think that it's just an extraordinary meal with fresh, crusty bread and crunchy coleslaw and a cold bottle of wine or an ice cold beer, just like the Eastern Shore lobster houses do it. And then I like to offer a variety of dipping sauces like drawn butter and Meyer lemons and lots of hot sauces on the table and maybe a spicy chipotle mayo, homemade, of course. Now, you can go the rustic route and grill your lobster and dump it out onto newspaper-lined picnic tables, or you can go the elegant route, and you could start with an endive arugula and toasted walnut salad 
salad and make a warm brie dressing to top those beautiful lobster claws with. But no matter where you start, you need to cook the whole live lobsters. And I can suggest a few preparations or methods. Now, you can always boil the lobsters in the traditional fashion where you fill a lobster or a stock pot three quarters full of boiling water. I like to season it like I do my spaghetti water so that it's salty and briny like the sea. And then I put live lobsters in the freezer first for about 15 minutes before I boil them. The cold temperature of the freezer actually causes them to become more tranquil and easier to handle. Now, I absolutely love, I happen to love really grilling lobsters the most of any preparation. And I'll cut them in half before I grill them and set them directly on the grill or the grates. Or you can grill just claws or even just tails. You can always roast lobster in the oven as well or steam it if you have a steaming mechanism. But no matter how you do it, you want to definitely choose the right lobster. Always choose a brightly colored lobster. Although the color doesn't affect its flavor, it does definitely show you a sign of its age. And then, of course, I look for lobsters that move around a lot. I like an active lobster. You always want to look for claws that are held upward and tails that are straight out. And in fact, a tail that curls underneath the body is considered a sign of age. Look for clean shells, no black marks or holes, because that does indicate an older lobster as well. And then Remember that ideally you should cook the live lobster the same day that you purchase it. They can be stored in the refrigerator for, say, an additional day before you cook, but you always want to keep them as cold as possible in an open container where the air can circulate around them. A cardboard box actually works quite well. I like to pack the bottom of the box with seaweed or you can use damp newspaper so that you keep them moist but not wet. You never want to store lobsters or any crustacean, uh, and that includes shellfish like mussels and clams on ice or in tap water, as the fresh water will um, definitely kill them. Now, as I mentioned, Maine lobsters are the most preferred during the peak of summer months. And when it comes to eating a sweet Maine lobster... I think there's nothing better than a traditional lobster roll for lunch. Uh, there are lots of recipes out there, but I like the simple approach. I use a good quality, preferably homemade mayonnaise, some freshly chopped chives, salt, pepper, and a really good quality bun that you brush with melted butter and get all toasty before you fill it up. Then, of course, you can always... Go the high road route and you can incorporate lobster into your favorite paella recipe. Or you can make my oven roasted lobster with citrus and chilies. I love that bright citrus and spicy chili infusion. Or a Thai inspired lobster soup as well. Those recipes posted on the website at chefjamie.com. And then, oh, here's the perfect pairing. Lobster and limoncello. Yes, you heard me right. In fact, I like to brush lobster when it's on the grill cooking and 
with a little bit of limoncello or serve it alongside for sipping. When it comes to a wine pairing, though, here is a fascinating match, although it might be a bit unconventional. The northwest corner of Spain, which is home of the largest fishery in Europe, is where Albariño is produced, and it is a white wine that is built for shellfish. You could try an Oregon Pinot Gris as well. It could be really fun. In fact, it's a little weightier than Pinot Grigio, and I think it's a really nice compliment. You'll find lots more lobster recipes. I'm getting tongue-tied. I'm so hungry. And you'll find wine pairings as well, once again, on the website, chefjamie.com. You'll also find there my Think Like a Chef feature, which every week I change to hopefully inspire you to be a better cook in your own kitchen. And this week's Think Like a Chef feature is all about the importance of mise en place. This is the French term, the first thing, by the way, that they teach you in culinary school that encompasses the idea of having all of your ingredients prepared and ready to go before you start cooking. Literally translated, mise en place means set in place. And it means all of your ingredients prepped and ready to go before you start cooking everything in its place, like your onions diced, your spices and broth measured. And then I like to have my pots and pans and tools laid out as well. Now, taking the time to do it up front will actually save you time in the long run because with everything laid out in front of you, you're more organized, you're more efficient. Now, this rule always applies in professional kitchens, but it lends itself so well to home cooks' kitchens too. If you've ever dined at a chef's table in a restaurant or seen an open kitchen at work, then you've noticed their mise en place, right? Each station fully prepped with all the ingredients necessary to make a particular dish. And since we've all done it at home, you start preparing a recipe. I've done it too. You figure you can chop the garlic while the onions are sauteing. You get three steps into the recipe and then you realize you're missing an ingredient or you forgot to reduce the wine. Then you're scurrying around to try to get it done and your timing is completely thrown off. Well, it's all about your mise en place. And so I hope you'll take the lesson and think like a chef in your own kitchen. I truly believe that it will make your dishes turn out more deliciously and that you'll definitely enjoy the act of cooking more than ever. There are a few other things you won't want to miss on the website. We're celebrating Hatch Chili season. It's just begun, in fact. And so I've posted my grilled corn and Hatch Chili summer salad recipe, the perfect topping for grilled salmon. I also have a brown sugar caramel recipe that's out of this world and a cherry mint mojito that will allow you to savor this sweet season of cherries that we're all indulging with. Now, nothing says summer like a great barbecue, right? But the epic ones... I know. They happen at your house. Well, here in Southern California, Smart and Final knows your type. Your happy grilling steaks for two or hot dogs for 52 little leaguers because you are a barbecue hero. And I'm proud to speak about Smart and Final and their new and better than ever stores. And it's all the more reason to stop by a Smart and Final store and see that they have everything you need at prices that you are sure 
to love. Smart and Final really does have it all. They have the low prices of a super center, the big sizes of a warehouse club store, and the convenience of your local supermarket without the membership card or any fees. Plus, they have all kinds of party supplies that the other stores don't have too. So perfect for summer or everyday shopping. Smart and Final, warehouse prices, big and small sizes, and weekly specials you won't believe, like First Street Whole Chickens at 89 cents per pound. Oh, I see a beer can chicken or even a peach nectar can chicken on your barbecue in the future. And Sweet Cantaloupe Melons, four pounds for just a dollar. You can find a Smart and Final store near you at smartandfinal.com. And please stay tuned. As I mentioned, Melissa's Produce Executive Chef Ida Rodriguez is coming up next. We're celebrating the 2014 Abundant Hatch Chili Season from New Mexico. We're also dishing later this hour with the celebrated seafood chef Rick Moonen and the crazy fabulous Nadia G is back. She's gracing this show once again and has a new TV show you'll want to hear all about. So stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Sweet Melissa. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. You've tuned in to the hottest conversation today because we're dishing all about the famed Hatch Chili. There's nothing quite like it. Chili heads unite and celebrate because in recent years, you had to know someone from New Mexico who would get you Hatch Chilies and bring them back at the peak of chili season, but not anymore. Melissa's Produce, my produce company of choice and a longtime supporter of this show, they provide global produce from the ordinary to the extraordinary to grocery stores across the country. They're providing Hatch Chilies fresh and in season this year once again at a grocery store near you. And you can bite into Hatch Chili Heaven because they'll be roasting Hatch Chilies across the country all throughout the season, in fact. New Mexico is chili heaven, and 30,000 chili fans gather at the Hatch Chili Festival every year, coming up in just a couple of weeks. And this year, Ida Rodriguez will be there. She's here to dish as the executive chef of Melissa's Produce on everything Hatch, from Hatch Chili Salsa to the best chili rellenos to Hatch Chili Cornbread, even Hatch Chili Ice Cream. And I'm delighted to have you back, Ida. Welcome. Hi, Jamie. Well, thank you for having me. It's (laughs) always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm very proud to have Melissa's as a partner as well on this radio show for so many years and as my produce company of choice. And everyone knows you can go to melissas.com and you can actually order chilies to your front door of so many different varieties. But it's the hatch, I think, that are most unique. So if you would highlight the virtues of the hatch chili. Well, like you said, it's very unique. There are many, many different chili peppers out there, but the hatch is very unique in the fact that First of all, it's the only chili that you can actually choose to purchase in mild, medium, or hot. They're actually grown that way. They will be labeled. The box will be labeled as hot, medium, mild, or extra hot. And so you can choose how hot you want to make your dish, uh, which is always nice. Sometimes you want them hotter than other times, but you have that choice with the hatch chili. The other thing is they have a very thick wall of flesh. So whenever you do make like your chile verde or any kind of sauce, it's almost creamy because the flesh has so much body to it. It is a very unique, 99% of the time it is eaten roasted. 
Mm-hmm. You, however, it is edible, uh, fresh, but when you do roast them, the flavor just is so much sweeter and more intense and can still be hot if you choose the hot ones. Right. And one of the things I love the most is what you alluded to is the texture of the chili and the flavor of the chili combined, which is what I think sets hatch apart. And it's this uh, for those with a, a fascination for chilies. It's this very small four square miles of fertile land along the Rio Grande, right? About 70 miles northwest of El Paso. Correct. That produces this chili. And there's nowhere else in the world that a chili grows like this. And it's a very bountiful season this year, which is wonderful because it's almost like everyone's jumped on the Hatch Chili bandwagon. Right. It's everywhere now. And I do have to mention, Jamie, that season is only for about six to eight weeks. Right. So that's why there's such a hype this time of year for the hatch chilies. It's like mid-August to late September when you can actually get the hatch chilies. And it used to be, like you said, you had to go to Hatch, New Mexico to get your stash for the year. And um, people would plan their vacations around right. that time so they could bring them or have them shipped to them. Now Melissa's is bringing them, taking them throughout the country into all your local retailers that also are doing the roastings. You can go to melissas.com, and we have a schedule of the dates and times that we will be roasting at the different stores throughout the United States. Okay, so let's say you get your hands on some fresh hatch chilies, bright green, heavy for their size, I know is always a good tip as far mm-hmm. as choosing chilies. Um, Correct. But let's say you get your hands on some and you plan to roast them yourself. Can you talk us through the process, please? The easiest and funnest way to do it is over your barbecue grill. So you want to roast them over a high flame so that the skin gets charred. And it will work very nicely because the skin is rather thick on the hatch chilies. So you just roast them till they turn nice and black. You want to put them in some sort of container. It can be a plastic bag, a paper bag, a bowl with saran wrap over it, something to seal them so that they, while they're cooling, they're actually sweating. And that releases the skin away from the chili, so it's very easy to peel at that point. I then take them, and you want to freeze them. You want to put them away for the, to be able to use them throughout the year. And I separate mine if they peel very nice and neat and the chili doesn't tear at all. I set them to one side. Sometimes they're a little more bent and twisted, the mm-hmm. chilies themselves, so when you peel them, they'll break a little bit. I set those to another side. And then I'll put enough in a baggie to make a meal. So like, say, the nice, pretty big ones, I'll put maybe 12 in a baggie. So you a... can make chili rellenos. Correct. So you could those stuff are nice them. for stuffing. Right. I like to peel my chilies before I freeze them so that I'm able to just throw them in my dish. But you can uh, freeze them with the skin on and then peel them at the time that you go to use them. I just think it's easier to do them all at, at one time. I do, too. And I will say that I store mine in the refrigerator in the garage because I find that after some time, their aroma does begin to permeate. And one oh of the things, God. doesn't it take over? It does. It can. Yes, it <laughs> yes. can. Not in the freezer, but in the refrigerator. In the refrigerator. The hatch chili is very unique in addition uh, you know, to the fact that it just happens to be glorious chili all around. But it gets hotter over time from the freezing process. And I believe that applies really to any chili, right? As the water evaporates over the year... That you're waiting for the next season, your hatch chilies in the freezer get spicier. They do actually get hotter, uh, not 
technically, it's just the fact that they've uh, lost a lot of their moisture. And the flavor is richer because when you remove all the water and it evaporates slowly over the freezing time, let's say for hatch chilies, as you said, the flavor compounds. And I think by then, three quarters of the way through the year, You've built up a heat tolerance. There you go. And and now you're looking forward to and appreciating the hatch chilies that come out of the freezer even more. And exactly. the opportunity to cook with them is endless. I mean, I mentioned breakfast because I happen to love hatch chilies combined with eggs in everything uh-huh. from a quiche to a frittata. It's endless to what you can put them in. We actually have a cookbook that we wrote last year. Yes, I was just about to mention Oven Bake Soft Pretzels with Hatch Chili Mustard from the Hatch Chili Cookbook by Melissa's. (laughs) It's absolutely endless. My idea was trying to teach people that hatch chilies aren't just for Mexican or Southwest cooking. You can add them to almost any cuisine. And there's recipes. There's 150 recipes in the book. Everything from, like you said, simple scrambled eggs, pancakes, Mm Uh, drinks. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, ice cubes, lots of different things. It's endless what you can do with hatch chili. And when you go down there, you'll see that this is how these people eat during the season. Hatch chili, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, from breakfast to ice cream. And, you know, I have um, hopefully made a tequila name for myself over the years using Melissa's roasted hatch chilies infused in tequila. Oh for my what gosh. I have had it. It's amazing. And for like simple sipping or for the ultimate margarita, I have to tell you, it's probably my best two ingredient recipe. And <laughs> I wait every year to make a new batch so that I can um, so that I can gift hatch chili tequila. And uh, it's very easy to make. Right. All you do is, well, I take the cleaned, roasted hatch chilies and put them into a big container, a you know jar with a lid and pour mm-hmm. over good quality tequila and wait at least four weeks before we start drinking. And then I'll transfer it into smaller containers or vessels and give it as gifts or blend it into a drink. By the end of the year, um, it is so richly infused that it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. How yeah. much flavor, and you don't have to add that much chili to it. No, you really don't. Not at all. I can't wait to make hatch-baked ziti. Um, but you mentioned hatch chili ice cubes, and I'd love if you would leave us um, with that concept and, and share the method itself, because I think that is the ultimate summer flavor enhancer. Again, so simple. Right. You just want to take a, a medium or a hot uh, pepper, add it to a blender after you've peeled it and removed the stem, Add some water and blend it up. Pour the water into ice cube trays and freeze them. Then you can take them out and use them in your drinks. And I find that it goes really well with ginger ale because ginger ale has that nice, cool flavor. And then as your ice cubes melt in your drink, you get the heat from the the hatch chili and the flavor. It's also great with lemonade Mm, um, or, of course, to make margaritas or add them to your cocktails. That's a nice uh, heat and the sweetness of the the pepper as well. They go very well together. Yeah, fabulous flavor. I love the sweetness and the heat, like you said. You can get your fix at a grocery store across the country near you because Melissa's is offering hatch chilies and live roastings. You can search for your city online at melissas.com. You can order fresh hatch chilies at melissas.com as well. And don't forget... 
to order your copy of the Melissa's Hatch Chili Cookbook. There's nothing else like it on the market. Over 150 recipes, so many family favorites from the Rodriguez and Hernandez families, in fact, for everything from the best enchiladas to a garlic chili butter sauteed shrimp to even Hatch peanut brittle. Oh, I've had your brittle, Ida. Oh, it's delicious. Oh, it's outrageous. Okay, uh, maybe this year. Yeah, really and the s'mores. Hatch chili can also be bought in a powder form. Yes. And so you can do a lot of things with that. The uh, s'mores have the sprinkling of the hot hatch chili on them into the chocolate. It's delicious. All right, so look for hatch chili powder at a grocery store near you as well. Hatch chili season is coming, and we're certainly looking forward to it. Ida, thank you as always for sharing your passion. Oh, thank you, Jamie. It's and a pleasure. Thank you for all the support from Melissa's. Melissa's is my produce company of choice from the ordinary to the extraordinary. They offer the best in global produce. Check it out, melissas.com. And cheers to Hatch Chili season right around the corner. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this, so don't go away. If I had just one last wish, I would like a tasty Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, inspiring delicious dishes every Sunday. We do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. He's been called the king of the sea, Chef Rick Moonen, a celebrated seafood chef and an early champion of sustainable fishing practices. He is the chef proprietor of RM Seafood at the Mandalay Bay Resort in Las Vegas, a contributing editor to Food and Wine magazine, and a frequent guest chef at the James Beard House. Just last year, he was appointed to Monterey Bay Aquarium's Blue Ribbon Task Force as one of the top 20 leading culinarians, and he's been honored with many prestigious culinary awards. You know him well as a finalist from the second season of Bravo's Top Chef Masters, and it's the first time that Chef Rick Moonen has graced this radio show, and I'm delighted. I'm glad to have you, Rick, and welcome. Thank you, Jamie, and it won't be the last, I promise. Well, I hope not. I love I love that you want to come back before we've even begun. That's brilliant. Why not? <laughs> um, would you share your plight? For those that don't know, Chef, it's been many years that you have dedicated efforts and time and education to encouraging sustainable seafood practices, and that fight never ends. No, it does not. The word sustainable and sustainability is, is gaining popularity, yes. much like the word organic started out as a great concept and got diluted. So let me define from my perspective what I mean by sustainability. The ecosystem, our earth, how it takes care of itself before man even came into the picture. It was perfect in every single way and everybody was happy. And then uh, we tried to control it and take over and then we decided amongst ourselves what our favorite species were to consume. And when it comes to the ocean, that's pretty narrow. And then we go after those species with vim and vigor and hunger, and we love them to death, and then they go away. So we're basically pulling parts out of our ecosystem, like taking a piece out of the engine of your car and expecting it to run the same. Hmm. doesn't make sense to me. And there are so many factors that contribute to the health of an individual species. And in the ocean, that could be overfishing, the accidental uh, capture of uh, other species when you're going after a targeted one, and that's called bycatch. Hmm how you destroy their habitat when you're going after them, dragging big, heavy metal things across the bottom of the ocean. It's like clear-cutting of a forest. Not good because the fish need that area in order to reproduce and be healthy. Mm-hmm. And even aquaculture. Well, you know, you think Aquaculture can be a solution 
towards alleviating the pressure on the wild species, but it isn't always. Sometimes it has more harm on the environment than it helps in the elimination of pressure on a species. So there's so many different factors to it. Basically, I follow the Seafood Watch program's recommendations. This is from Monterey Bay Aquarium. And they take all of those factors into consideration that I just mentioned. And they give you the green, the yellow, and the red. Basically, green being best choices. If you can't find those green best choices, good alternatives are in the yellow. But please avoid the red because they are, unfortunately, on their way towards possible extinction thus de- further deteriorating the system that we know as the ecosystem. Right, and I believe... Does that make sense? It, of course it does. And we've talked about Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch on this program a lot, in fact, and highlighted some of the companies that are farm-raising or even creating even more innovative approaches to sustaining our oceans. And I think that it takes chefs like you to lead the pack from a gastronomic perspective, but it takes consumers, the great cooks that listen to this show to understand and really commit to that same dedicated approach to sustaining our waters and, and keeping, you know, beautiful fish and those for, for consumption alive for generations to come. They, exactly. the Seafood Watch makes that little pamphlet too, chef, that's fabulous. You know, that I've seen oh, someone they, at a sushi bar. They try to bar. break it down and keep it as simple as possible. Yes. This is very complicated. You know, I try to tell people just eat lower on the food chain and eat, eat a much wider variety than you're comfortable eating hmm. and then we'll pretty much eradicate the, the issues that surround overfishing and everything else because hmm. there's a lot of unrealized, delicious, wonderful species that, that doesn't make our dinner table. Okay, so wait, so touch Jeff, on them, would you? Because I know you say, why eat salmon when you can eat Arctic char? Exactly. Right? I like barramundi, mm. uh, that is farm-raised and recirculating systems. It's a fish that comes from Australia, actually, originally. But we're farming it in the United States, and it's a good fish. Cobia is another fish that's absolutely delicious. You never really see it on menus because it's not easy for boats to go after because they don't school. They're individual swimmers. But when you can find a cobia that's farm-raised in a responsible way, it's one of the most delicious fish you'll ever eat in your life. You'll fall in love with it instantaneously. I have on my menu right now farm-raised sturgeon from Passmore Ranch. It's near Sacramento, California. Oh, I'm in. I know the owner, oh, Michael I love, Passmore. Love sturgeon. Oh, it's really, and sturgeon's delicious. Yes. It's just you, you have to know how to handle it and, and because it's got a great meaty texture to it. It does. You grill it, you almost feel like you're eating lobster, <laughs> texture-wise. And it's, it's absolutely delicious when it's prepared correctly. Okay, talk more about summer grilling, will you please? Because we're all inspired by a cedar plank or by yeah. fish stuffed with thin slices of Meyer lemon and freshly shaved fennel. And so what is uh, another good or a few other good fish that can go directly on the grill? Well, if you're going to if you're going to go whole fish mm-hmm. with, with Meyer lemon stuff in there, mm. you just got me excited. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking crispy skin on some live coal rather than those oh. little briquettes that taste like you know, petroleum. Oh, yes. Like, like a barramundi, for instance, that I just nice. mentioned before. Delicious on the, on the grill whole. And how about fillets? Your fingers are going to get sticky from all the gelatin. That's uh, a good thing. Yeah. How about fillets <laughs> or steaks or other choices for the barbecue? Cobia that I mentioned before, yes. unbelievable on the grill if you can get your hands on it. It's a white um, belly, right, that's very prized of the cobia. Cobia is, if you took a, a swordfish, you know, the, 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 the firmness of that, of that flesh, mm-hmm. and you married it to a, um, 
hamachi, very fatty mm. yellowtail, and, and they had a baby, it would, it would be cobia. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it really would. I'm in. On cedar planks, first thing that comes to mind is, is salmon. And right now there's still wild salmon available. Mm-hmm. You know, you got sockeye salmon coming from Bristol Bay. You know, it's towards the tail end of it, but it's still available, which is really, really good. I have it in the RM Seafood tonight. Nice. You know, come on down if you're, <laughs> if you're in the area. It's just a but quick jaunt to even, Vegas. But I'm, I'm finding that there are even farms that are doing things a lot better than they did in the past. Mm-hmm. Right, this, you're not going to see this on the Seafood Watch Buyer's Guide or, any, or on their cards. But I've been keeping my finger on the pulse of certain brands. There's some Atlantic salmon that are coming out of the Atlantic Ocean and the, the Gulf of Maine. And the brand is called True North. And it, it's something that I'm starting to support because I'm finding that a lot of the concerns that surrounded environmental deterioration and a lot of times the fish themselves were being treated with uh, antibiotics, with chemicals to, to get rid of lice. There, all, certain companies are finding great alternatives at, and at, at, a, at a you know at great expense, but they're taking a responsible stance. And, and certain companies, and you can't say that they're sustainable. They're working towards that status, but they're certainly in the forefront of responsible fishing practices. So, That's wonderful. so something like True North salmon on a cedar plank in your grill. Is crazy good. Crazy good. I personally like to brine it a little bit or cure it before I put it on the cedar plank because mm. I find that it concentrates the flavor. It changes the texture to a more flaky final product. What's in your brine, chef? Water, lemon zest, a little bit of shallots. Nice. A couple of slices of garlic. Mm. Some sugar and salt, okay. a very small amount of sugar. And if you don't want sugar, you need some sort of a buffer to sweeten it. I put honey in there. Sometimes it could be maple syrup. It mm. could be agave syrup. It could be palm sugar. You choose the sweetness. But it's a, in order for it to be an actual brine, it has to have salt because it's the salt that interacts with the, with protein right. and pulls out some of the moisture. It has an actual extraction. So what happens is it's pulling out uh, moisture from the salmon, even though it's underwater or in liquid. It's taking liquid away, it's concentrating it, and firming up the texture. So when you put it on a cedar plank, I would baste it with a little bit of of some sort of fat, usually olive oil, Mm -hmm. put it on the plank, close it, cover it, let the smokiness do what it does, and then what comes out is magic. Okay, everybody's making Rick Moonen's signature salmon this week. I can't wait. I love it. You heard it here. Um, Chef, I hate to say we're out of time. I would love for you to come back and talk about scallops and so much more. They feel so summery to me, even though they're not particularly seasonal. But I get so many questions about how to buy scallops and the best way to prepare them. So will you join us again before the end of the summer, please? I can talk for days. I can't wait. <laughs> Love it. Um, what is next in the Rick Moonen empire? Tell us what we can expect from your restaurant ventures. Well, I still have my two restaurants in Las Vegas. Yes. I have a Rick's Boiler Room, which is our steampunk you know, a look, but it's all about um, the alchemy of, of the cocktail and, and comfort food, and that's just right above the upstairs. R&D right, food. love it. Those are those are my two ventures right now. Um, looking at some other markets, but nothing, nothing real. I, I love where I am and mm. what I'm doing. I love the community mm. of Las Vegas. I'm looking forward actually to coming to Newport Beach. Yes. Okay. So I'm glad you mentioned it. You'll be in my neck of the woods, in fact, where this show actually stems from and has for 14 years in Orange County, California. There is a world-class Epicurean experience happening, and I'm so delighted that you're part of it, Chef 
Rick Moonen is one of the featured chefs at the first annual Newport Beach Wine and Food Festival coming up September 19th through the 21st. If you happen to be in the Southern California area, it is at the Newport Beach Civic Center and there will be culinary masters and restaurants and celebrity chefs like Rick and master mixology experts both days inspiring and educating us and I'll be cooking as well and it will be my pleasure to taste one of your delicious dishes. You can learn more about Chef Rick Moonen's passion and his fabulous food and restaurants at Rick Moonen, R-I-C-K-M-O-O-N-E-N.com. And you can find tickets for the Newport Beach Wine and Food Festival, by the way, at NewportWineAndFood.com. Chef, it was a pleasure. I look forward to dishing with you again soon. Thank you, Jamie. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Me too, you. There's more delicious conversation in your radio. You wouldn't dare touch your dial now, would you? Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We do have the hottest talent on this show, and I love it when big names and big personalities stop by to dish. She's been hailed as the Julia Child of the Net Generation, as the creator and host of the cooking channel series Bitchin' Kitchen. She's crazy fun, full of deliciously demented ideas, and decked out in some sort of leather and stilettos while she puts together main meals filled with Italian inspiration and fresh ingredients. I love her sharp tongue, her entertainment value, and the fact that she's blazing new trails with her new show called Bite This. It's a comedy travel show all about food, fashion, and the fun that Nadia G has on a daily basis. She is back to dish, and I'm so happy to have you and glad to talk with you again. How are you, Nadia? Doing great. What an intro. Not I'd pl- love to be introduced like that all the time. <laughs> well, I am glad to have you back. I was glad to meet you in person last year, and I'm so thrilled to see that you have a new show and new comedy and new fun that you are sharing, of course. I loved the trailer video for Bite This, but for those that haven't tuned in yet, as the season just started, give us the lowdown. I can describe it like Ali G meets diners, drive-ins, and dives, but with better shoes. So what it is, is a comedy travel show. We travel across America finding the best chefs, the best dishes. We focus a lot on farm-to-table because that's my jam. Um, but but the difference is is that we actually get to know the chefs and make them uncomfortable, ask them <laughs> the hard questions or the ridiculous questions. And ultimately, like, food is an expression of one's personality. Mm-hmm. So being able to catch the chefs off guard and really delve into what they're like just makes it, you know, that much tastier in all senses of the word. And, and I think it brings the entertainment value that everybody knows and loves about you to sort of a fresh place. I loved that you launched the show with your um, L.A. trip, right? Because it's all about travel and food. And you sort Mm -hmm. of, you get into the nitty-gritty places, like the hole in the walls and, you know, the not-so-known or maybe well-known in the areas that we're venturing to to find new culinary inspiration, right? In Los Angeles, we covered this one place called Bad Mash, and what they do is make a chicken tikka poutine. So it's essentially, you know, Quebecois Indian fusion. And not too many people have heard of this place, but it's it's definitely worth going and eat at because the food is exceptional and so unique. Yeah, it definitely looked like it was worth a visit. I couldn't wait to go there. Talk about poutine, if you would, um, because you have Canadian roots. 
living in the U.S. now and L.A. being your home base. Um, but poutine is something that I know you hold uh, very near and dear. Oh, yeah. I love poutine. I mean, it is such a dirty, delicious dish. It consists of French fries that are smothered in gravy and topped with fresh cheese curds. Yeah, how could that and, be bad? Uh, yeah, exactly. And what's fun about it is you could spin it any which way. Um, you know, I've had Korean-inspired poutines with kimchi. Mm. Um, you could play around with the cheeses if you want to and do, uh, you know, use some brie and create a gravy that's a little bit more, you know, peppery with some sage in there. I mean, nice. the, the options are really limitless uh, to give yourself heart disease. <laughs> Thank you. We thank you for that, for sure. I love the Canadian inspiration. I love the Italian infusion, not only with the boys that you keep around all the time, um, but with pancetta stuffed artichokes, which oh, yeah. artichoke season at its high during the summer months, of course. And one of those things that you say always impresses, right? Lots of delicious recipes on your website. So many delicious recipes. And, and one thing that's fun about Bite This is that we uh, actually get the chefs to give us one of their best recipes and one of the recipes that we feature on the show. So even if you can't make it to Los Angeles to eat Bad Mash's poutine, you can go on my website, bitchinlifestyle.tv, and make the recipe at home. Right, you can grab it. Do you think that any of the dishes or all of the dishes that we just uh, reviewed would pair with the frozen rosé blood orange and strawberry sangria you make? Because I'd sit down to a sangria with you any day. Yes. yes. <laughs> sangria is fun. And, and what I love about it is you could play around with it again. And you can see this is, this is like an overarching theme. The idea here is to take a recipe and make it your own. And with sangria, why not use rosé instead of red wine? And, and instead of the typical oranges and citrus fruit, go for something a little more interesting like blood oranges and strawberries. Yeah, I love this recipe, by the way. I hope you don't mind. We've posted it on the website at chefjamie.com, oh, yeah. and we're linking back to bitchinlifestyle.tv, of course, and it is a rosé-based sangria using strawberry schnapps and good fresh lime juice and blood oranges and sliced strawberries. And you talk, too, about um, a crappy glass, and I quote you, Nadia. Mm -hmm. that it will make you forsake it forever, you say. So uh, the, <laughs> the mason jar, is that your glass of choice? Uh, I, I love mason jars. I think they're so pretty. They have too. a little bit of that redneck country feel. <laughs> and we, we actually are selling um, these beautiful mason jar wine glasses. I, and the contrast kills me because you've funny. got mason jar, which is like such a bachelor um, item. And then they've added a, a classy wine stem to it. I think that's fabulous. I love it. Absolutely love it. We love that you're um, paying homage to all the cities that you love across the country. The new show has just released. It is designed and created by the chef comedian who is Nadia G, the social media maven, uh, wearing her platforms on a web platform and on a television near you. You can learn more at bitchinlifestyle.tv all about Nadia G. And then, of course, you can join in on the fun on the Bite This Nadia G Facebook page or on the Bitchin' Kitchen page. 
Love the new series. Congratulations to you. Uh, Thank you. I love that you are a strong woman making her way in the food world as well. So we commend you for that. Word. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. By the way, you can find Nadia G's new cutting edge cooking show on the cooking channel. It airs Mondays every week at 10 p.m. Eastern. So check it out. I wanted to give a shout out and a huge thank you to all of you that attended the Lunch and Learn series at Sanctuary on Camelback Mountain Resort just outside of Scottsdale, Arizona yesterday. It was my pleasure and privilege to cook and teach and share my California picnic menu alongside my husband who paired beautiful wines for what was an extraordinary day. A very big thank you as well to my sweet friend, Chef Bo McMillan. He is the chef of Sanctuary on Camelback and you know him from the Food Network and he and his team welcomed me into their kitchen. We had really an extraordinary experience and I can't wait to go back. I hope you'll tune in next Sunday as there's more inspiration in your radio, but I'll leave you with this. This is what I like to call my last bite. And over the last few weeks, this last ounce or tidbit of culinary information has been a simple three ingredient recipe that seems to wow great culinarians like yourself. Well, this week's two ingredient recipe going from a simple three ingredient to two ingredients is all because of Sunny Anderson. And so I'll take a moment to thank her. It is a gluten-free and fabulous recipe for pizza dough. Here's what you do. You take an entire head of cauliflower and you break it into florets and you puree the cauliflower florets in the food processor until they're smooth. And then you put the mixture into a dish towel and you squeeze it dry and discard the liquid. Then place the cauliflower puree in a mixing bowl and add two beaten eggs and mix it to combine. And it's going to be rather wet, but you'll spread it into a round pizza crust on a sill pat or a parchment paper lined baking sheet. Then bake the gluten-free pizza dough for 35 minutes, about 400 degrees, and you have an incredible gluten-free crust that is amazing. Top it with tomato sauce and shredded cheese, throw it back in the oven, and I have to tell you, Sunny, you rock. I am posting this recipe with kudos to Sunny, a friend of this radio show, on my Facebook page and on Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I truly hope that you'll try it. I hope that you'll meet me here next week as well for more summer recipes galore and find me serving up seconds, of course, at chefjamie.com. Once again, I thank you for listening. I wish you a sweet, warm summer week, and I'll meet you here next Sunday. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.